0: Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And today we are going to shine a spotlight on one of the more, I'd say, useful and and attractive benefits of being an ACEC member, and that is uh, access to EJCDC contract documents and For those who have not taken advantage of this, uh, EJCDC stands for Engineers Joint Contract Documents Committee. And uh, these documents are created by a coalition of stakeholders in the project delivery process who develop and endorse quality contract documents and encourage their use uh, through education and promotion. And ACEC is one of three organizations that comprise EJCDC being, of course, ACEC, the National Society of Professional Engineers, and the American, Council, American Society of Civil Engineers. And uh, together, these groups put together these contract documents, um, and, and they're very tailored specifically for um, engineers. And they kind of fall into families, engineering, construction, design, build, procurement contracts. And to talk about this, I'm very, very pleased to be welcoming to the program Kevin O'Byrne. He is the National Manager of Engineering Specifications at HDR. He is also the chair of the Contract Documents Committee at ACEC and has been very engaged with EJCDC now for about 14 years. Uh, So an expert who understands this back and forwards. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. So this is, this is something which, which is a, we try to always get people to take advantage of these, uh, this family of contract documents. Uh, why, why is, um, in your opinion, that the ejcdc family is so useful for engineering firms to take advantage of? What are some of the key benefits, uh, for using these, these documents?
1: Uh, Very good question. And uh, first off, for anyone who might not be fully familiar with EJCDC, I sort of tend to draw a parallel between it and the standard contract documents of the American Institute of Architects, or AIA. AIA documents uh, are very widely used uh, in the United States, especially for architect-led vertical construction. Quite frankly, a number of ACEC Member firms are accustomed to using AIA documents because whether they're mechanical, electrical, or plumbing engineers, structural engineers, perhaps they uh, are probably engaged in a lot of architect led vertical construction projects. So many ACEC members will be familiar with and perhaps often use AIA documents. The EJCDC documents, I don't consider them a competitor of AIA, but rather more of a of a of a parallel. They're really a different set of uh, users. And EJCDC documents are used primarily on engineer-led projects. The documents are uh, appropriate for a variety of different work, whether it's uh, any kind of even vertical construction, but most often used on engineer-led infrastructure projects, sometimes called horizontal construction. And uh, whether it's water and wastewater facilities, roadways, ports, uh, any other kind of infrastructure project, uh, uh, oil and gas, uh, electrical power transmission and distribution, and and other kinds of infrastructure projects where the lead design entity is typically going to be an engineer as opposed to an architect or some other kind of design professional. The EJCDC documents have been published since 1978. Their predecessor documents originally developed by the National Society of Professional Engineers go back to 1964, so there's a long history and a lot of providence behind these documents and a good deal of expertise and careful consideration that goes into the development of every single EJCDC standard contract document. Some of the benefits that uh, a user will accrue in uh, obtaining and using these documents are going to be, uh, whether it's the professional services agreements, uh, they're well thought out, complete. They are uh, consistent with current court decisions and decisions and disputes and industry trends. Uh, I think the EJCDC professional services contracts are probably uh, more detailed and complete than any others that I've seen in the industry, whether AIA or any of the other uh, sets of widely used standard contracts in the United States, such as those of the Design Build Institute of America. Uh, when it comes to construction documents that EJCDC publishes, whether it's the EJCDC Construction Series, the EJCDC Construction Manager as Advisor Series, and later this year EJCDC will be publishing a new Construction Manager at Risk family of documents, The EJCDC documents provide benefits to the user of those, whether it's a public owner or some other entity that is entering into a construction contract. Uh, First off, they're complete, they're comprehensive, they're fair, they include appropriate risk allocations uh, that are consistent with court decisions and decisions of arbitrators. I think in the end, that's ultimately going to have a beneficial effect on project owners projects because where contractors know and understand and are accustomed to the use of EJCDC documents, they're going to price that risk properly, which is going to result in overall lower prices for owners. So there's a variety of different advantages depending on the stakeholder that's using
0: EJCDC documents. And this, I, I think that last point that you raised is really important because, you know, we talk about a significant number of, well, the majority of, of ACEC members are smaller firms. Um, and if they're doing work in, you know, the horizontal space and, and, and they need access to contract documents, um, these are, to your point, you know, when you go back in history, these have been developed over a long period of time. They have been tested. They are um, up to standards of current judicial review. Um, from a risk management and risk mitigation standpoint, um, the fact that you're using a set of contract documents and 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 you know that that have been really tested and give confidence to your point, the, the project owner that. A firm is coming with this set of documents that is understandable, that that has a lot of confidence behind them, being able to kind of price that and lower that cost, you know, that risk into a project is is a benefit for firms that are competing for the work. Um, And the fact that the you know the 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 EJCDC documents you know they all conform to to a recognized organizational format the CSI master format um, and yeah they've been tested over over decades um, you know, what 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 is that format that CSI master format why why is that the kind of the industry standard that, that's right a, now for contracts?
1: That's a very good question. The Construction Specifications Institute is a, uh, like ACEC, it's a nonprofit organization, uh, which uh, interestingly, it represents a very broad uh, spectrum of participants in the capital project delivery process, whether it's architects or engineers, building product representatives, and even contractors. Um, and CSI uh, publishes a variety of different uh, practice guides and organizational formats, among which is, as you mentioned, CSI master format. Master format is itself not a set of construction documents or construction specifications, but rather it is, if you will, a master table of contents for a set of written construction documents and, and specifications. So, for anyone who ever wondered why uh, the documents are numbered as they are and have certain titles. Uh, that's probably being drawn out of some version of CSI Master Format, and so uh, EJCDC documents do try to uh, conform uh, reasonably closely with uh, CSI Master Format.
0: And again, I mean, this is all coming in a in a in a package that is you know editable in uh, Microsoft Word. So it's not something that you need any specialized equipment for, but you have this you have this all all, all of the history, you have that standardized format, you have all of the the, the numbering um, that allows a firm to quickly edit and utilize these contract documents for specific projects. So it's it's almost a one-stop shop where you have reliability and confidence built in, take advantage of these contract documents and and, and, and feel confident that you're, that you're not going to have to worry about anything down the road.
1: And another important thing about EJCDC documents, when one thinks of, uh, if you, you perhaps put together an organization chart of a capital project, of course, the top mm-hmm. of that org chart is going to be the project owner, the one who's got the problem that needs to be solved through some kind of design and construction process. And the owner uh if we're talking about traditional design bid build for example the owner will enter into one contract with uh, a design professional here we'll call it the engineer and a separate contract with a contractor well the construction contract between the owner and the contractor has a whole bunch of third-party obligations in it for the engineer uh, to make sure that you have a, a project that is Implemented with the fewest headaches possible and uh, the best amount of coordination, you want to make sure that your separate prime contracts that the owner is awarding, one to the engineer, one to the contractor, are coordinated with each other. So, one of the things you get with EJCDC, if you use, uh, for example, EJCDC E500, the owner engineer agreement for professional services, the engineer's responsibilities. Uh, in the in the scope of services in that contract are well coordinated with the engineers third-party obligations in the mm-hmm. owner engineer construction contract of c 700 standard general conditions yeah I've seen many non-standard or unique to a particular project owner or unique to a particular consulting engineer uh, professional services agreements or construction contracts where uh, the the Professional services contract and the associated construction contract were not well coordinated with each other, which led to quite a bit of headaches during the construction process and sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, some budgetary grief for the consulting engineer, unfortunately, where, you know, perhaps the owner might say, um, Well, if you want to continue to do a bunch of business for me, I know that this isn't in your scope, but it says so here in the construction contract, you prepared and you'd better take care of that additional element of, uh, even though I'm not going to necessarily go to bat for you with my board to get you the compensation. So having a coordinated professional services agreement that's consistent with the responsibilities in the construction contract, I think is very important for
0: consulting engineers, risk management and EJCBC documents provide that. Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, it does provide, it, it equals the playing field, really. It, it allows it allows firms of any size to have that protection built in by using this, this, this you know, family of documents. Over the past uh, 15
1: or so years, I've done detailed re- risk management reviews of at least 100 to 120 different public owners, uh, non-standard construction documents. And some of the provisions in there... Uh, May depart quite significantly from the normal uh, language or risk allocations of EJ CDC, yeah. or even AIA documents. Of course, in many cases, at least some of the more memorable, memorable terms and provisions are things that I think I think somewhat understandably, when you look at it from a certain viewpoint, try to slant the playing field more toward the owner. The, you know, the the owner's attorney who drafted that contract is trying to protect their client. However, uh, I think a basic principle is that risk is transferred to another party for an associated cost and that there is a cost in transferring a bunch of extra risk to the construction contractor with the aim of trying to protect the owner. Now EJCDC documents try to allocate the risk to the party best able to control that risk. Um, so. An owner might perhaps look at a provision of EJCDC and say, I need to fix that because it's leaving me with some potential exposure here. Well, Mm -hmm. you can try to stop up that perceived hole, if you will, but it is probably going to cost the owner more in terms of uh, the increased pricing that they're going to see right up front, regardless of whether or not that risk that contingency the contractor is putting in ultimately comes to pass so it costs the owner a fair amount of money to put those uh, very protective provisions in a non-standard contract. Now I don't want to say that EJCDC contracts aren't protecting the owner but they're allocating the risk I think reasonably and fairly to the party best able to control the risk. A lot of those non-standard contracts out there I've read often leave out a large number of topics which commonly uh, need to be included in a construction contractor that occur frequently on modern projects. Uh, A number of non-standard owner contracts I've read, for example, include no provision whatsoever for the unanticipated discovery at the site of what EJCDC calls constituents of concern. Uh, You're working in an existing older building, which is quite common, especially for things like a treatment facility or an industrial facility you're often going to encounter lead-based paint, asbestos-containing materials, maybe PCBs or even other kinds of hazardous materials. EJCDC documents clearly and fully set forth uh, risk allocations and responsibilities of the parties uh, for when that happens. And again, many of the non-standard contracts I've read do not as to pick just one single example. So uh, one criticism I've heard of the EJCDC documents is some people might look at them and say, uh, gee, they look kind of long, in um, my response is unfortunately they need to be. They're they're also written uh, to be readable, uh, so uh, they're not written in legalese. They're written with enough uh, margins and white space to make them reasonably readable. I suppose at EJCDC we could make smaller margins and tiny print and reduce the page count if that's what some people are really looking for. But the fact is is that they're a complete set of documents written in what's pretty much plain English and hopefully reasonably easy to understand rather than a bench of
0: uh, legalese. But at the same time, I mean, the length of the contracts is, is, a, is an attribute to, it's a feature, not a bug. You know, it's, it's the fact that you've had so much time and these contracts have been tested and you have precedent and you have, you know, jurisprudence is kind of, you know, in, in case law that has led to you know the different clauses in the contracts that it, the length is because these things have been tested over and over right. again and it, yeah to a certain it would give extent. a general counsel yeah it would, to a certain extent but it would also give the general your general counsel the flexibility to be able to edit to fit the project uh, yeah. that Yeah,
1: especially when one is talking about one of EJCDC's professional services contracts. For example, the one that, if I may, perhaps improperly use a term, the flagship EJCDC professional services contract for design, bid, build work is the E500 owner engineer agreement for professional services. And it is a fairly lengthy document. Because it has uh, many different alternative provisions in it for different forms of compensation. Of course, when you buy the document, look at it and say, "Gee, this has a, a considerable page count." But of course, once you take out all the different forms of compensation that you're not going to use, in other words, retaining only the one that applies to your contract, suddenly that contract uh, becomes a lot shorter for the actual project. So the the initial page count should hopefully not intimidate people, and um, when it comes to the construction documents, uh, you know, I've heard some people say the general conditions for design bid build, EJCDC C700, they're something like 70 pages long. And the American Institute of Architects uh, corresponding document is only uh, 40 or 45 pages long or something of that uh, length. And the EJCDC documents do use a slightly larger, and as I said, easier to read text uh, and uh, a little bit more white space in it, again, making it a little bit easier to read. What's the exact number of words between AIA and EJCDC? I'm not entirely sure. But also, uh, I'm not sure if one wants to consider this an advantage or just merely a difference between AIA and some, uh, EJCDC and some other documents, such as AIAs, is that EJCDC documents, uh, we engineers, I think, tend to like to be pretty complete. We don't want to leave a whole lot of things to the imagination. And to that end uh, the EJCDC documents uh, the general conditions go into the basics the basic levels of certain procedural matters in administering to say a construction contract or a design build contract which other standard documents do not do so your for a construction contract your division 1 specifications for EJCDC documents might wind up being a little bit more succinct because your general conditions are a little bit longer. Uh, Whereas if one uses, for example, the American Institute of Architects general conditions, the general conditions appear to be somewhat shorter than EJCDC's, but correspondingly, more topics and language needs to be included in the Division I specifications. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, again, you know, talking about I, just the volume of 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 documents available um, yeah, there is a benefit for being an acec member in which that you get a, a discount on the cost of the documents now of course they are available to non-members as well so it's 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 a question of you know discounted pricing if you go up to acec.org and go to business resources into the bookstore and just type in ejcdc you'll get a result for all of the EJCDC documents that we have available. And it's a, quite a lengthy list of documents and really do encourage everyone listening to check this out because um, it, it covers you know the, yeah. the, the full range of, of needs that an engineering firm would have. If one
1: needs to obtain, uh, for example, a set of the EJCDC construction documents for design, bid, build, which is the the construction or C-series documents to give just one example. Uh, The C-series contains something on the order of about 26 individual documents. Uh, But however, if one is thinking of purchasing these documents, uh, whether from ACEC or wherever, you don't necessarily have to go purchase them one at a time. In fact, they are uh, sold in packages which also have an associated discount. And compared to other uh, forms of standard construction documents, whether AIA or the Associated General Contractors of America's consensus docs or what have you, uh, the EJCDC documents are really are the least expensive uh, with perhaps or arguably the most liberal use and license agreement. And by by buying them as a package, for example, if one purchased the entire current C series together, you receive a, a a bit of a discount just by buying them as a bundle as well as buying them as an ACEC member which results in an even further discount so you get a very sizable and useful set of construction documents with a license agreement that allows them to be used for a number of years rather than an annual renewable subscription and it's all for one very reasonable price and again as you said earlier They are mostly Microsoft Word documents. There's a few here and there in some of the different EJCDC document families that are Microsoft uh, uh, Excel files. Like, for example, the construction contractor's application for payment form is an Excel spreadsheet, uh, which, you know, certainly makes good sense. It's intended to
0: calculate numbers and say, how much is the contractor due this month? Now, in addition to just talking about UJCDC, I also want to kind of mention the the Contract Documents Committee of which you are uh, the chair of. Uh, can you tell us, uh, for those individuals out there who aren't completely familiar with what the committee does, can you give kind of a summary on on what the committee is is working on and 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 how it interfaces with um, other aspects with with ACEC? Sure. And, you
1: know, ACEC involves a number of different kinds of committees on different topics, the Contract Documents Committee being just one. And quite frankly, an awful lot of the Contract Documents Committee's uh, efforts are really organized around and focused on EJCDC, but Mm -hmm. ACEC's Contract Documents Committee has its own online uh, ACEC community. Any ACEC member can join that, and when you have Uh, questions on construction documents, regardless of whether they're EJCDC, perhaps you're using AIA documents or even a client's documents, you're certainly free to post questions on there. Most of us, uh, if we're posting questions about a uh, a given uh, project, we would probably not mention the client uh, to make sure that we're not uh, violating anything or saying something that we shouldn't. Um, However, there are a lot of people on that A.C.E.C. construction documents uh, community who uh, can furnish uh, hopefully appropriate and uh, useful advice. So that's one of the functions that the contract Documents committee furnishes.
0: And the fact that you're working with also the Legal Counsel Forum and the A.C.E.C. Risk Management Committee and other groups, I mean, it it allows um, this is one of the benefits, I think, of the communities is is, is the fact that you have this wealth of information behind the scenes. Where you can kind of, you know, like you said, get that information and 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 hopefully get an answer without, you know, divulging a lot of information, yeah. but that that wealth of, of of knowledge is there for you. And,
1: and I'm glad you mentioned the risk management committee and the legal counsel form, uh, because there are several of us from the A.C.E.C. Contract Documents Committee and E.J.C.D.C. Uh, who recently uh, put together and provided the first presentation. Of a, of a fairly comprehensive online course for ACEC members called the Essentials of Risk Management for Consulting Engineers. While mm-hmm. it's certainly not a commercial for EJCDC, uh, a number of the presentations and sessions within that risk management course do point out that one of the ways in which uh, a ed- consulting engineer can help control mm-hmm. its risk is through the use of appropriate contracts whether for construction or professional services and of course EJCDC yeah. is one of those excellent resources available to ACEC members.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I uh, my understanding is you're also working on revising a family of documents in EJCDC right now is there anything you could you can speak to on on on
1: that work? sure uh, well ej cdc is uh, pretty much constantly uh, in the process yeah. of updating documents and, a, and a revisions to a certain family will come out uh, at times the EJCDC cdc goal is really to try to update uh each family of documents well the goal is on a five-year basis sometimes it's six or even seven years once in a while on certain families it could even be a little longer but uh the fact is, is they are updated and reviewed on a continuous basis and published as a comprehensive set of documents uh, periodically. The one slight exception to that is that the engineering series or E-series documents, they're updated more in a uh, in groups. Uh, the core documents mm-hmm. of EJCDC's engineering series are updated usually shortly after. EJCDC publishes a new edition of the C-Series construction documents, but then some of the other documents of the E-Series will follow on in the next uh, two or three years after that. So currently, okay. uh, while the current editions of the E-500 owner-engineer agreement and the E-570 engineer sub-consultant, uh, subcontract were published in 2020, here in uh, mid 2022, the EJCDC Engineering Subcommittee is still working on updating some of the the specialty uh, documents, uh, the Owner Geotechnical Engineer Agreement, the Engineer Geotechnical Engineer Subcontract, the Engineer Surveyor, uh, and so on. Uh, other work EJCDC is currently doing is that uh, here in uh, in June of 2022. Uh, we are uh, hoping to approve for publication in the in the coming months uh, a brand new family of EJCDC documents for construction manager at risk project delivery. I think this is something that the business has really needed for some time. There are some other construction manager at risk or sometimes called CMAR. Some people might call it construction manager, general contractor, perhaps calling it CMGC. The American Institute of Architects calls it construction manager is constructor or CMC. They all are mean the same thing. Uh, EJCDC is calling ours construction manager at risk or the CMAR series. And uh, uh, the effort to prepare that document, those documents has been considerable. But when it is published in uh, later on in 2022, it will be a complete set of documents that will uh, cover not just the owner construction manager at risk contract, but also what's really the heart, how CMAR projects are truly different from design bid build, how the CMAR is procured, right? Because the owner is going to be hiring uh, basically their contractor based more on qualifications rather than price. And so EJCDC has really gone uh, pretty deep into the overall process of sort of, if you will, opening up the contractor's Process of pricing and so forth, considering fast tracking and and all that will be addressed in the new Cmar series. Uh, EJCDC, in conjunction, is also uh, gearing up to do an update and uh, ultimately publish, uh, probably later in 2023, a revision of EJCDC's design build documents. Uh, the current edition of that was published in 2016, and then following the design build update. EJCDC will start in the update process for the design, bid, build, construction, or C-series documents, which will likely be
0: published sometime in 2025. Yeah, so a lot going on. I mean, it's a continual process, yes. and it's it, again, it's that confidence that using these documents, it's it's that since you have this continual revision and updating, that uh, you know you 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 have access to you know the most up to date documents possible. And another another
1: thing uh, that's perhaps worth mentioning, uh, you know, many owners, particularly public owners, do have their own unique uh, construction contracting documents, and they're very uh, they very much desire to continue to use those, which is I think understandable. However, the current economic climate of runaway construction cost escalation supply chain issues a lot of uh suppliers are either building products or process equipment their price quotes nowadays are good for only seven days um the it's a whole different risk atmosphere than it was a year or two ago and for the people who may think that using the same old contract which might have quite frankly let's be honest some onerous Uh, provisions that are difficult for contractors. If you think you're going to keep using that contract and still get the same number of bidders that are hopefully aggressively pricing your projects, you might be in for another thing. Uh, Everybody's got workload uh, challenges. There's not quite enough hands to do all the work. There's a lot of business in our industry these days, but the prices are, are... kind of going crazy and uh the supply chain issues cause many other headaches. So having a good set of construction contracts with fair and reasonable risk allocations, I think, is becoming even more important than ever before, given the current climate.
0: Yeah. Well there's a lot, I mean there's a lot here uh to cover. I mean I'd love to have you back on um later in the year and kind of see where things are. Um, with the contract documents and 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 to see what what um you know how how those revisions have been have been going, um but I, I encourage everyone out there to take a look. Uh, EJCDC has its own website, of course, ejcdc.org, um and then you can access all the documents on our bookstore at acec.org and, under business resources.
1: And as a as a small plug for the EJCDC yeah. website. There's some additional resources on there, completely free for anyone that cares to go to ejcdc.org. There is a blog of some uh, mm-hmm. interesting and hopefully useful uh, articles, as well as yep. uh, three times a year when ejcdc meets, the ejcdc legal counsel uh, prepares a summary of uh, recent cases and court decisions of interest. So for anyone that and, and, is a little interested yeah. in how do, you know, how do these. How do courts and arbitrators really interpret these documents? Um, You can see typically three times a year, a summary of about seven or eight different cases prepared right by EJCDC's own legal counsel written in plain English.
0: So it's easy for consulting engineers to understand. Yeah. And and as well as uh, a state and federal legislative review, uh, which is also beneficial. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, a lot of good information up there on that website, um, including a, also that, that knowledge base that you have in, in addition to the blog. So, um, there is a lot there. Uh, Kevin, really, I, I really appreciate this has been a great dive into, into EJCDC. It's something which we've been meaning to get to and, and really, again, make a, you know, get out there more, uh, make sure that people take advantage of it. So I really appreciate your time and expertise today. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to be here. Wonderful, And again, this is uh, has been uh, Kevin O'Byrne. He's both uh, with HDR and is the chair of the Contract Documents Committee at ACEC, talking about the EJCDC family of documents. And this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you next time.